Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as we reflect on all the weekend's Premier League action with me, Sam Matterface, former England forward Dean Ashton and TalkSport's Alex Crook. Coming up on this week's pod, Mourinho's meltdowns, the worst team for letting in goals in the last 10 minutes, the worst side for the team throwing away half-time leads, the joint most points thrown away from losing positions. You guessed it, it's Tottenham. I just want to say, Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Ole because I think a father I am a father I think a father you have always to feed your kids doesn't matter what they do also this week ain't that a kick in the head Dean Ashton goes against the grain at Burnley Tarkovsky's got to clear it he can't see who's about to turn up he just turns and swivels and clears it and Longstaff knows if I'm going to head this in I might get absolutely clattered so as far as I'm concerned, it was the right decision, but the Manchester United one wasn't. Plus a terrible week for VAR, and don't call me baby, we will call you. Why Madison chose the wrong avenue. All on the ultimate review of all the weekend's footballing action. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Well, a big hello to Dean Ashton and to Alex Crook. Alex and I are in the same studio. And actually, Dean, I, I, I just turned around on my twirly chair and I flicked Crook in the face. Um, <laughs> uh, and he went down. Can we have some assistance to pick him up, please? Uh, because he, he looks like he, well, he, look, he looks like he's been shot from quite, quite a way out. And the rest of this pos- podcast is quite possibly going to be scrubbed entirely uh, after VAR intervene. Um, look, look Dino... It didn't have an effect on the on the result in the end, but what did you think of the whole Son McTominay incident? I don't think I'm quite as cut and dry as everyone in just like, you know, oh well he, he tapped him in the face and, and and he went down and it was as if he'd been shot as such. You know, it, it was a decent flick straight in the in the nose eye. It wasn't like it was just a flailing finger. It was a good clip to the um, to the face um, but the goal still should have stood there's no doubt about that I don't think we need to go on about whether Son made the most of it because I actually think it was a decent little nick in the face um, but in terms of the goal the goal should have stood there's no doubt about that um, you, you were watching it and um, I was in the studio doing the Sunday session on Talk Sport at the time right and um, obviously during the course of a Manchester United match Crook gets quite wound up now <laughs> Now, now I, w- I don't know if this was you, but when the second goal for Manchester United went in, I think it was Cavani's diving header, there was like an earthquake outside the studio, right? <laughs> and there was this great big shape just sort of like moving around. Uh, and I asked the boys in the, in the office afterwards, I said, look, I don't know if it was Crook, but was he dancing around like a banshee when Manchester United scored their second goal? And they were like, yeah, 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 yeah he, was. he was. He was acting like a five-year-old. Um, was that your highlight of the weekend? Yeah, but do you know why... I, I was pretty nonplussed about this game coming into it because for, for me, United are, are now on for the top four. Be nice to finish second, but it's not going to be the end of the world if they don't. So I felt it was a more important game for Tottenham. But that incident with Son, and, and I, I disagree with Dean, I think he was cheating. That really wound me up. So that got me really fired up for the game. I was with Darren Ambrose, big Tottenham fan. He, he was taking the opposite point of view to me. So that got me agitated. So yeah, when the goals went in, I celebrated in style, shall we say. <laughs> I don't know if style was the right word. Not from what I saw in my <laughs> peripheral vision, that's for sure. Right, okay, let's get to the rest of the action starting at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
goal for Wolves and for Newcastle United. Adama Traore's goal drought is well and truly over and so might Fulham stay in the Premier League. Liam Cooper is being sent off, the first Leeds United player to be sent off this season. They're down to 10 men despite the fact they lead by a goal to nil. Here's Dallas through the centre, he's going to win it, he goes past the goalkeeper and slides it in, and on the counter-attack, Leeds United have scored a second goal that is going to win them the game away at Manchester City. And it looks like three-point snatch for Liverpool in the final minutes of the game, and Trent Alexander-Arnold answering many of the critics that have been on his back of late, and it looks like finally Liverpool are going to get a win under their belt at Anfield in 2021. Free kick whipped in by Mount Zuma's header, and that's 3-0. Crystal Palace very fallible at the back once again, and it's Kurt Zuma who capitalises this time. Here now is Sir Maxima over the halfway line. He's still going, he's got support, he might not need it. Onto his left foot and fires it in. What a wonderful goal from Alan Sir Maxima. Borsha's coming into the box. Can Leicester get another goal back? And yes, they can. Ian Nacho's got another goal back. Six minutes of extra time still to play. Ian Nacho's made it West Ham three, Leicester two. It finished Tottenham one, Manchester United three. United avenged the 6-1 to make it four wins from four in the league. They close the gap to City at the top to 11. And shall we start off by hearing from Jose Mourinho because he came under huge criticism for throwing away a fortunately gained lead and he came out with the most bizarre set of statements afterwards. I just want to say Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Ole because I think a father, I am a father, I think a father you have always to feed your kids, doesn't matter what they do. If you have to steal to feed your kids, you still. I'm very, very disappointed. And because with me, like we say in Portugal, bread is bread and cheese is cheese, I told already Oli what I think about his, uh, his comments. Look, look I, we laugh about it because, you know, obviously bread is bread and cheese is cheese. But as philosophers go, he's no Eric Cantona, is he? I mean, at least the, uh, the, the, the trawlers and the seagulls made a little bit of sense. It didn't really, cause, because he's admitted subsequently, Cantona, that he just made it up. It didn't mean anything. He was just no, he did. on he the wind-up. No, he, he said subsequently that it's about throwing fish to little pieces of fish to the, the journalist to give them things to write about. Mm, I think he just made it up. But anyway, we'll, we'll skirt around that. I, I think you hit the nail on the head on Twitter. This is classic Jose Mourinho diversion tactic, taking the heat off what was a, a really abject performance um, from Tottenham is it, great copy for journalists I'm sure that the print media were rubbing their hands with glee when this bizarre <laughs> dad war if you like uh, developed between the two managers but ultimately as I say it, it's to take the heat off Spurs and he also said, Jose, that he was happy with the performance and with the heart of his team well, if that's true and, and I very much doubt it that for me is him admitting that he's happy with mediocrity because there was such a golfing class between Manchester United and Tottenham and this is still not a vintage Manchester United team but it, it shows how far away Spurs are from being anywhere near title or, or top four contenders. And If Harry Kane was in any doubt going into the game about where his future lay, surely that should have made his mind up because he must have come off that pitch wondering what performance he'd just been a part of. Tottenham are going backwards under Jose Mourinho, not forwards. Um, Dean, obviously the performance wasn't great. I mean, Tottenham have got a real issue in terms of statistics, haven't they? I mean, they're they're dropping points from winning positions on a far too often basis, aren't they? I mean, they're the worst team at dropping points in the final 10 minutes of games. They concede far too many goals late on in matches. Why is that? I think there's a huge mentality problem um, at the football club and, and with the players because I've seen certain performances where I've been mightily impressed and I've seen halves of football where you think this team should be right up there you know fighting for the for the league and then in the second half it's just as if it's a totally different side and I think today was a great example of mentally where the two teams are at I think Ollie's got his side to a point where as Scott McTominay said after the game there's a there's an air of calmness about them knowing that they've got the ability and the belief within that, that team, that they're just going to come back and and be too good and win the games. And they've done it time and time again. Whereas it's the total opposite with Spurs. When you watch them, it just looks as if 
there isn't that belief there that we can continue on with the way that we're playing and win the game. And I think there's a there's a big issue with the mentality of the of the of the squad rather than necessarily they're needing to be a big overhaul of players and, and that the team isn't good enough. Mourinho's got too many problems with too many players. We can reopen the curious case of Toby Alderweireld again tonight. I suggested last week on the pod that there was more to it uh, than he had suggested. Uh, he'd suggested last week that he couldn't train later in the end of last week because he didn't have a COVID test. Then pictures emerged of him training before that day and then he wasn't involved again today and he's quite clearly the best central defender that they have. When a manager has a problem with a player who is clearly the number one centre-back, how does that affect the rest of the squad, knowing that their best their best defender isn't playing? I think you can't not think that the way Jose Mourinho talks after games about players, you've got to be very naive to think that that doesn't affect players and it doesn't make them talk behind his back about what he's like as a as a person and, and especially if you get on well with them players as well and they've been there longer than Jose have and probably you know gathered bonds between each other and and I just think we're coming into an age where as a manager you can't be like Jose's being you cannot be that man that just thinks that you can rule by fear or or, or by ostracising a couple of players and thinking the other players are going to respond to that thinking oh well I don't want to lose my place because Players aren't like that anymore and the money's too big for them to to worry about situations like that. Um, Manchester United, on the other hand, have shown their character, haven't they? They've picked up 25 points from losing positions, Crook. Um, I think Solskjaer will be impressed by that. I think Manchester United fans will be impressed by that because they, they could have actually lost their heads and Dean alluded to it about mm-hmm. that calmness that Scott McTominay referred to straight after the game. They could have lost their heads when they had that legitimate goal disallowed. Yes, they could. And, and actually, I think it's a good sign that they, they channeled it in the correct manner and, and actually almost created a siege mentality amongst themselves. They weren't going to be denied by uh, what at best was a, a shocking decision uh, on behalf of the, the VAR and the on-field referee. At worst, was just blatant play acting from, from Son. I thought it was it was a good day for Manchester United. It was a good performance. I thought Cavani was excellent. I, I particularly like the diving header. Uh, we don't see enough of those, uh, I don't think, in, in the modern game. McTominay, dogged in midfield. Luke Shaw, good at left-back again. Henderson was superb. Pogba was at it. The, the frustration would be that you can't necessarily rely upon them to produce that level of performance game in, game out. But oh, Come on, over the course of the season, they're the second best team in the league by some distance now. Yeah, but it's not a great league. But listen, credit credit where it's due tonight. It, it was a good Manchester United performance. And if they can maintain that for the rest of the season, they'll finish second and they should win the Europa League. Say something nice about Fred. He he, he created a goal, out, which was actually almost Brazilian in con- conception. Listen, Fred has his qualities. Um, I think the price tag is a problem because he hasn't justified it. And he can't play alongside Nemanja Matic. Hopefully, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has realised that now. The, the, the partnership between him and, and McTominay with, with Pogba a bit further forward actually works quite well. Down the right with Tyler Roberts into the area. Bamson's at the far post and he's missed the chance. Falls towards Torres, who had far too much time to execute his shot. He didn't do so. Then it goes in towards the near post. It's blocked by Bamford after Jesus's effort. And it goes behind and away. Fernandinho's weave past Cooper into the area. Sterling with an effort three yards wide. Bamford's got an edge of the area. He sets up Dallas right-footed shot. Hits the post and in. And Leeds United lead against Manchester City. And Stuart Dallas has scored his sixth goal of the season. Ooh. Well, Liam Cooper could be in trouble here because he's gone in very smartly over on the far side and Liam Cooper is being sent off. The first Leeds United player to be sent off this season. They're down to 10 men, gets towards the edge of the area, lays it off to Zinchenko, left footed drive, saved by Melier and the rebound comes out but Sterling can't get there before the goalkeeper comes and manages to claim it. Mendy's gone up for it, doesn't quite get there. Gundogan is coming in on it and he hits it over the top of the crossbar on the volley. In towards Torres, it's not comfortable anymore. Right-footed shot into the far corner and Manchester City are back on level terms. And here's Dallas through the centre. He's going to win it. He goes past the goalkeeper and slides it in. And on the counter-attack, Leeds United have scored a second goal that is going to win them the game away at Manchester City with just 10 men. It's a terrific victory for Leeds United who have beaten Manchester City away from home by two goals to one.
Let's move to Saturday and Manchester City were beaten at home by Leeds United. What a big result this was for Marcelo Bielsa. Um, so if, look, if we had examples of VAR getting things wrong in the big game on Sunday, in the big game on Saturday, I think it got it right, didn't it? Liam Cooper with a crazy tackle that put his teammates in dodge, but boy, did they get out of it. Um, it, it was a, a red card. It was dealt with by the VAR. Maybe Andre Mariner should have done that himself. But boy... Didn't Leeds do well, Dean, the way they managed the match after going down to 10 men? Marcelo Bielsa, I think, again, has got to take a lot of credit in terms of, I know you talked about it a lot with, with Trevor in commentary about the players being fit enough to be able to cope with going down to, to 10 men and still, at certain moments, trying to spring out and, and still be a threat on the counter-attack, which is, is so important when you're playing with 10 men. You cannot just camp for the whole game. You've still got to try and have some sort of threat on the break um, if you can do. And I just think it's it's been impressive that, that Leeds have only conceded no more than one goal in the last four games and that's mm. three victories on the bounce. And clearly just the fact that they've actually got two centre-backs playing for arguably the first time, you know, in three or four or five games in a row, what feels like all season, maybe tells a lot about where Leeds might have been if they've actually had a proper backline for most of the season. Well, Leeds have been a, a bit of a credit to the league, really, haven't they, Crooker? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're never out of a game. They're always giving you talking points and entertainment. You can't ask for more than that from a team that's just been promoted from the championship. And they maybe should be a lesson to what you can achieve with a bit of good coaching. Yeah, and actually we did a poll on Darren Ben's boot room on Sunday night, who should be manager of the season. Uh, Moyes or, or Guardiola were the obvious choices, but we needed a third and, and we actually nominated Bielsa. We, we couldn't really think of anybody else who, who deserved a place in the discussion. And w when you look at what he's done with that club, they've taken four points now of, of Manchester City this season. They've played fantastic football. They've probably been the neutral's favourite team and you can't say that about Leeds United for much of their <laughs> history. Um, and... and We've got a guy in our WhatsApp group, uh, a couple of guys actually, who have spent the last couple of weeks of the international break deriding Calvin Phillips. They don't understand what he brings to a team. Well, actually, if you watch this game at the weekend, then you understand exactly what he brings to Leeds United. He was the linchpin of the team yeah, on he, and he was terrific, dropping into the, the defence when, when they were overrun, turning defence into attack. And credit to Bielsa, because one of the criticisms that people have levelled at him is that he doesn't have a defensive game plan. Well, they needed a defensive game plan against Manchester City and they executed it to perfection and, it, and then still found a way to... To, to score the breakaway winner. So I think it was an excellent performance and there have been some fantastic individual players for Leeds. Bamford, obviously. Dallas with the two goals at, at the weekend. Phillips, we've talked about. I'm a big fan of, of Harrison as well. But not only that, they've got the individual players but they're a fantastic unit as well. And that unity was what got them through at the weekend. I spoke to Stuart Dallas after the game, actually, and he was he was brilliant in the way he sort of opened up. And I said, well, do you know, did you get... Did you have more of an advantage in this match with 10 men because you'd been coached by Marcelo Bielsa? He said, well, maybe because we were fitter and we were able to deal with intense situations. He said, but, you know, playing Manchester City is hard with 11 men, with 10 men. He said, I just felt like I had my back up against the wall for, for 90 minutes, really, even though it probably wasn't as long as that. But he still managed to break away, scored two goals, the second of which I thought was an excellent finish, by the way, uh, through the legs of the goalkeeper right at the very end, having the fitness and desire and still the poise to be able to angle that through the goalkeeper right at the very end, I thought was, was superb. Um, but on the other side of the coin is Manchester City. Now, did Pep get complacent? Or did he get let down by players who should have been able to turn that situation around? Because he made seven changes, big changes, from the game against Borussia Dortmund. And I think he would have expected a team that included the likes of Fernandinho, Raheem Sterling, Ferran Torres, Cancelo, Edison, Jesus. They should have been able to deal with that situation, Dean. Yes, they should. Um, but it's not as easy as... as um as, as it's made out when you make them changes and, and when you make so many changes, trying to keep that fluidity is always going to be difficult. And even though that is a fantastic squad, there's still a big difference between a Kevin De Bruyne and a, a Phil Foden and a Gundogan compared to, you know, Ferran Torres and Jesus. I think that there is just that fraction, little bit better quality, of course. But I think it's brilliant management. He has got 
four competitions to win. And he has got to rotate that squad as best he can with the Premier League done and dusted, as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's exactly the right decision. He's still got a tight European game to come this week with a quick turnaround. Brilliant management, as far as I'm concerned. Would you be a little bit worried about what happens in midweek after what happened on Saturday? Or do you think it might refocus them? I think probably the latter. Um, I, I tend to agree with Dean. The, the league is one, and as we saw with Liverpool last season, it's very difficult to maintain that intensity unless you're Arsenal back in the day going for the invincible tag to to turn turn up week in, week out and, and show the same desire. So I, I don't have any fears for them in terms of getting past Dortmund in the next round of the Champions League. I think PSG or, or Bayern Munich will present a, a much stiffer challenge. What it does show is, is that maybe we were getting a bit carried away this time last week when we were almost saying that Manchester City had two teams that could win the Premier League because that second team they put out of the weekend, even before a ball was kicked, I, I did have my concerns that did maybe you? they wouldn't be strong enough. With Stones, Ake, Cancelo, Zinchenko, Jesus, Raheem Sterling in the team? Yeah, it will, yeah because Raheem Sterling isn't having a, a stellar season for a start. Um you know that I don't necessarily have too much faith in Gabriel Jesus. Nathan Ake hasn't played a lot of football. It's difficult mm. for him to be pitched in. Uh, Zinchenko played quite well, actually, but I'm not... His set-piece delivery was excellent. Yeah. Two, two starts in seven matches for Raheem Sterling, Dean. What's going on there? I think it's probably just a little bit of a, of a lull. I, I personally think, I think he misses that out-and-out centre-forward. Personally, I think he misses that because I think he thrives off um, feeding off the, the back post um, crosses, getting in, tapping them them in at the uh, the back post. And it seems with there not being that main centre forward in there to sort of play off as such and, and make your runs off, I think he struggled a little bit more and he seems to be getting the ball a little bit deeper, running into the box rather than just getting himself on the end of things in the box, if that makes sense. Because I think Manchester City have just playing slightly differently to how they have done in previous seasons where they seem to get to the byline, cut it back and there's a tap in. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. West Ham 3, Leicester 2. No Rice, no Antonio. West Ham excellent in that first half. Lingard unplayable. Then it started to unravel again, Dean. How nervous were you going into the final few minutes of that game, especially right at the very end when it looked like Leicester were going to equalise from a set piece? Oh, that was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable viewing, I have to say, because of how, again, once again, how brilliant they looked to get themselves the three goals and then the sudden turnaround. And and I, I still think they, you know, they... To, to get over the line regardless against Leicester, to get over the line regardless against Wolves and to be able to, for a long time, they haven't been able to score three goals in a game um, on a regular basis. I think that's been the big issue and the thing that supporters um, haven't enjoyed. Whereas at least this this team, you know it's going to be entertaining. You know they're going to get goals, but 
they haven't quite got the quality um, against the top teams to keep a clean sheet. If you really look at, at what he's done there, David Moyes, it's going to be an incredible achievement if they finish in the top four. Incredible. Incredible. And talking of incredible, in only his ninth Premier League appearance for West Ham, Jesse Lingard reached double figures for goals and assists combined with eight goals and three assists. It's the quickest the Hammers player's ever done so. Paul Kitson reached double figures in 12 games in 1997. Um, obviously, the Euros beckons for Jesse Lingard. I mean, maybe uh, there might be a late competition depending on what happens in the last uh, few games of the season if Grealish comes back, etc., etc. But as a Manchester United devotee, what happens to him after that? Do you keep him at Old Trafford or do you sell him for what will be now an inflated fee in comparison to what you were going to get for him? I think I agree with what Andy Cole said to you on the Sunday session. I think I would probably sell him. Um, I think for whatever reason, there are too many distractions in, in Manchester, um, I think it's helped him moving away, uh, probably leaving his, his friends and family, and, and and just focusing on his football. Maybe forgetting about some of the, you know, the off-field activities, the commercial activities. And actually, they could raise a decent amount of money for him now and, and put that towards buying Jaden Sancho, which I think is a deal that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is certainly keen to to revive this summer. But on the subject of the Euros. Gareth Southgate watching that game and it's becoming increasingly difficult for, for him not to take Jesse Lingard and I don't think he'll have a problem taking Lingard because he served him so well at the World Cup he was one of England's star men as they reached the semi-finals so he knows he, he's a good tourist which I think is is important when, when you're in a camp at a, a tournament and that for me could be the signing that, that, that transforms West Ham from Champions League contenders to actually finishing in the top four. It was a masterstroke to get him in and without his goals, they'd have probably fallen away now, much in the way that Aston Villa are also being talked about have done. And you look at their running, they've only got one team to play in the top six, that's Chelsea. Yeah. They've got Everton as well. Apart from that, there are some very winnable games there. So as much as Chelsea and Liverpool are, are breathing down their necks, it's there for West Ham. It's there to go and grab with both hands. And they are showing a real desire and a real team spirit to go and get the job done. I mean, it's a Cinderella story. They're the ugly sisters. They might just go to the ball. Mm, very good. He, he used that one on the uh, Darren Bent boot room as well. I heard it. And uh, they all laughed then, so he's doubled up. Well done. Um, look, the issue that Leicester have got is that they've got history of falling away at this stage of the season. They tough running. have got a very tough running when you look at the fixtures that are coming their way and they have shot themselves in the foot because Brendan Rodgers afterwards confirmed um, that there was a breach of COVID-19 rules in the camp in the last week. He was absolutely seething after the game and I don't think I've ever really seen him as rattled as I did today prior to the game and, and after it in which he confirmed that there was a breach by Madison, by Chowdhury and Iosi Perez without really elaborating to the, what the details were. There was a report later on in the evening which basically said, look, along with Wes Morgan and Harvey Barnes, there was a house party last Saturday night round at Iosi Perez's place and, and, and the club found out about it, basically barred them from the training ground because they didn't want them to breach the bubble any further than they already had, made them do two negative tests and told them they weren't allowed to play this weekend. Now, look, if it is true as has been reported that they went to a house party at Iosi Perez's house or a venue arranged by him last week. What does that say about their commitment to the cause? Because let's be clear, this is a Leicester team that are on the verge of qualifying for the Champions League. That doesn't happen to Leicester very often. And whilst Jesse Lingard is making himself almost undroppable for England, James Madison is doing everything seemingly in his power to ensure that he doesn't go to the tournament in the summer, Dean. I think that's the final straw. I would have thought mm. for, for Gareth Southgate, I think that Madison was had a tough job anyway, convincing Gareth Southgate to, to put him in his Euro squad. Um, and I think that'll probably be the final straw, no matter how he plays till the end of the season, because Jesse Lingard's been so good and he's already talked about wanting some experience um, of, of tournament football in his squad. Um, so I think it's a a, a big um, a big wrong decision from from James Matt and all of the players. And I really felt for for Brendan Rodgers, and I think he's done the right thing in such a big game. The last thing he would have wanted was not to have them players available, but. 
the way he spoke after the game, I was really impressed with the fact that he didn't dodge it and he said exactly how he felt and the standards at the club that he um, thinks you need to be winners and to to get to the, the absolute top level and the discipline you need. I thought he was brilliant in his interview afterwards. It's difficult to come back from, though, if you're some of those players. I mean, Chowdhury's had a few issues with the club. Morgan's coming to the end of his career, you would have thought, at Leicester City anyway. It's not great for Harvey Barnes, who's out injured, to, to be involved in a situation like this. And and, and for James Madison, it just there seems to be just too many of these incidents that creep up. And if you're t- as talented as he is, you should be trying to maximise that. Yeah, I think Dean's absolutely right. I think there's a, a suspicion from Gareth Southgate when it comes to James Madison anyway I I don't think he needs a second invitation not to take him to the tournament you've got Jack Grealish hopefully coming back to fitness you've got Jesse Lingard in the form of his life so I'd I'd be very surprised now if if Madison is included in the squad and I think it's shameful quite frankly you know we've all made sacrifices during this pandemic unable to see loved ones for for months on end unable to socialise with our friends unable to enjoy the simple pleasures for, for a long time, like a round of golf and a, a pint of beer, which by the time this podcast comes out, I'll hopefully be enjoying. But Well, the podcast comes out at 5am in the morning, so if you're out <laughs> playing a round of golf and having a pint of beer, then I think, first of all, you might be thinking you've got a few problems. <laughs> but but you, but you take on, on board my point, and, and, and listen, I feel privileged, and I know you do, Sam, and I'm sure Dean does as well, that to a certain extent, because of our job, we have been able to enjoy a certain amount of normality and a privilege that other people haven't. Yeah. Um, and footballers live in that privileged world. They're, they're multi-millionaires, but they still have to obey the rules of society and make the same sacrifices. And again, this is an example of rich men not playing to the rules and, and, and not showing any moral compass. Well, look, we haven't got the full details of it unless they haven't given us the full details of it. And the, and the, the reports are just that at this moment in time. But it doesn't look particularly No smoke good. without fire. And uh, look, Brendan Rodgers hasn't dropped them for no reason. That's for sure. Here is Hudson-Odoi finding Havertz now. Right-hand side of the penalty area. A delicate left-footed curler from Kai Havertz. And Chelsea have the lead. He's had to wait a long, long time for a Premier League goal, only his second of the season. But it was quality when it arrived. Down the line for Havertz, who pulls it back into the penalty area, and it's shot high into the net. It's a wonderful goal from Christian Pulisic. Two goals in two minutes for Chelsea. And they have taken such a firm grip on this game inside the opening ten minutes. Free kick whipped in by Mount Zuma's header, and that's 3-0. Crystal Palace, very fallible at the back once again, and it's Kurt Zuma who capitalises this time. Yeah, well, this will be the goal that will really annoy Roy Hodgson because it's a simple header, I have to say. Schluck now, who's found some space. High cross into the area, and Benteke has scored. It's a free header dispatched by Christian Benteke. Chelsea have now made it 4-1. Christian Pulisic has slid in to get his second of the game. And Chelsea's four, it's finished. Crystal Palace one, Chelsea four. Palace were poor, or as Alex Crook says, very, very average. Um, Their manager even called out their attitude prior to the game. This is what he had to say to Nigel Adley afterwards. And he thought right from the very off, things were going to go wrong. I didn't get a good feeling about the game. I don't know why. Uh, intuitions are, are, are dangerous things. I didn't. I thought we'd played a very different game and a very good game against Everton. We didn't get close enough to them. We we weren't aggressive enough. You know, you know they were more aggressive than we were in their defending. And you know, that that shouldn't happen. You know, they're they're the class unit. They're the one with the multi-million pound signings. They're the ones with the real quality technicians. You know, we shouldn't be losing out. On the on the on the basis of that they are more aggressive than us, they they get to the ball quicker, they win more challenges, they they committed more fouls. We committed one foul in the first half. They committed about seven or eight, because every time we did get the ball anywhere like out of a tight situation, we we were fouled. It's not very good that he he recognised that so early that there was going to be a problem. I'm sure it all feeds into the narrative, doesn't it, Dean? That it's all a bit tired and jaded and, and needs a bit of a refresh at, at Crystal 
Palace. Uh, look, we, we we could we've said that about Kai Havertz until this weekend. You can't get too excited because it's only Palace at half tilt in which he has destroyed. But that was the Havertz of Leverkusen days. Actually, it's the first time he scored and assisted in the single league game since he was at Leverkusen against Cologne at the back end of last season. Um, but I thought they were particularly impressive, Chelsea. They were. I mean, I was there for talk sport and that's probably the best half of football I've seen any team play live um, this season from Chelsea. Now, I know Crystal Palace weren't at their best, but they're always normally very well organised, keep a really good shape. Chelsea were absolutely outstanding, especially in that first 20 minutes. The movement, the crispness of the passing and one and two touch play, interchanging of positions. I was so, so impressed with them. Um, but I think it would be harsh just to say that Palace weren't weren't good enough. But you're right in terms of the staleness of that pa- Palace side. 4-4-2 with Eze and Ayu looking like they've had the enjoyment of football sucked out of them. Zaha and Benteke's body language was terrible, and rightly so, because they had absolutely nothing to to feed off. Um, I think, and, and Roy Hodgson didn't even attempt to change the formation to to combat it because it was so obvious where the issues lied, which was out wide. So, yeah, I'd be really worried and, and sort of a bit maybe tired of watching Crystal Palace if I was a supporter of, of them. But then again, I think at the same time, having been there a few times against the top sides, it just shows what a difference the support makes to them at that ground against the big teams. Because the, their record this season against the big teams has been so poor that has to be the only reason it, it does, and, I, and I understand that but I think one of the accusations from the Palace fans is, is look we, we haven't got bad players I mean we've got Eze who's going to be one of the best players in the league if he's developed properly we've got Zaha who is you know a genuine attacking threat for a lot of teams our defence isn't that bad and we're pretty well drilled we could have a little bit of adventure it's not like now we're fighting against relegation or trying to keep our head above water they're demob happy, aren't they? They've got a dozen players or more out of contract. They've got Roy Hodgson out of contract in the summer, and we mentioned in in the pod, the preview pod, that it'd be very unlikely now that that Hodgson would stay on. You'd have thought if that was going to be the case, they'd have they'd have said it by now. So they're in a state of flux. There's going to be a big change in the summer. They probably already know who their new manager will be. We suspect it will be Sean Dyche. Although Patrick Vieira was also a name mentioned to me earlier as someone that they're showing a bit of interest in. Um, I think Maurizio Sarri last week. Yeah, I think it will still be Sean Dyche. But I don't know if Dean's ever been in that situation whereby he's part of a a squad, a big group of players who who know their time at the club is probably coming to an end or they know the manager is leaving. I guess motivation at that time could be difficult to find, Dean. I think it actually reminds me of a team that's been relegated you know at the end of the season and then you know you're going to have players leave coming into the new season that it's got that feel about it and I just again you look at I know they've got good players there but you've got a centre forward playing right wing and you've got Eze playing left wing who was you know a shining light of the championship playing as, as a, in a free role and now he looks like he's having to do a job on the left hand side so there's just I think with the players that they've got with somebody coming in with fresh ideas, if they can still keep some of that uh, experience, I think they could have a little change up of formations and get get a lot more out of the players. He's a bit unlucky, Eze, isn't he? Because he goes away with the under-21s and has to play for A.D. Boothroy and he comes back to his club and plays for Roy Hodgson. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're going to Arsenal and playing under Mikel Arteta. Um, uh, let, let's talk about them uh, because uh, they've beat uh, Sheffield United by three goals to nil on Sunday night late on seven o'clock um, I was in the studio with Perry Groves earlier in the day and the team news comes out and uh, the team sheet's got Bakayu Saka on it actually when the team sheet is published everybody thinks Bakayu Saka is going to play left back um, anyway he doesn't he ends up playing a little bit further up the pitch and on the other side uh, to that but Perry's big question was why are you picking one of your best players in a match that means absolutely nothing when you've got the pivotal match of your season upcoming on Thursday? Lo and behold, in the second half of this match, Saka picks up a dead leg, ends up getting taken off and can hardly hobble off down the touchline. 
look, we all hope there's nothing in it because it's a great talent, but it does beg the question, why would you risk it, Dean? Probably because he feels under pressure all the time. You know, he, the, the disappointment against Liverpool, the disappointment in midweek, probably just feels like the pressure's on top of him and wants to pick his his best players. And, and Saka's been influential in when they've played well this season. Um, I was pleased to see Martinelli playing, but it has to be that. that. That can be the only reason why you wouldn't maybe give a couple of the fringe players an opportunity. Um, the rights, the likes of, of Nelson, for example, could have could have come in and played. Willian could have played. So I just think it's pressure. It has to be. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it almost doesn't matter what. Arsenal team, Mikel Arteta picks. He made, what, half a dozen changes today? Whatever Arsenal team you look at, it looks very average. Um, and very average again. Look, he's done it again. Very <laughs> average. You can't be very average. You're either average or not. Average is an average. You can't be very average or a little bit average. Okay. You are average or you're not. Okay, just to appease you, it looks very average. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess he feels that the Saka has that bit of stardust that they needed a win to boost confidence. I mean, can you imagine if they'd not beaten statistically the second worst team in Premier League history that that wouldn't have been a great great way to go into this second leg of a, a crunch European game live on TalkSport 2 on Thursday yeah but it's, it's no risk isn't it if you play a B team of, of, of 11 players you're not going to include on Thursday night and you lose 1-0 or you draw 2-2 or you draw 0-0 whatever no one cares I don't know I think Arsenal fans do care why? I think it why creates though? more negativity yeah, but, that's, but if you're getting sucked into that as a manager then you're naive aren't you you're, that shows you're inexperienced well he's because, desperate isn't he he's because desperate. ultimately the, 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 the eye has to be remain on the prize which is Thursday night's game if he doesn't go through on Thursday night the likelihood is is that most people will talk about him being fired again because he because he probably deserves to be doesn't he Dean no I don't think so I'm still backing him I am. I've seen enough. I've seen have enough you? in the games. Yeah, I have. I have seen enough in the games against Tottenham, games against Chelsea, Leicester. Certain periods I can see. I can see exactly what he wants from his side. I think he needs a little bit of help. I don't think there needs to be a total overhaul. I certainly don't think that he'll get one because there's everyone's saying, oh, well, he needs to get rid of all these players. Well, that's not going to happen. And I've seen enough performances. If you can hit that level for certain games then they're capable capable of getting there and they just need to do it more consistently. The level on points with Leeds United. Side. But what I'm saying is I can I feel as if I can see this is my favorite this, this is my favorite phrase about you know the emperor's new clothes that is Mikel Arteta. I can see what he's trying to do. Well, we can all see what he's trying to do but they ain't doing it and isn't his job to get the best out of the players that are there. I I, I just don't I don't get it. It's funny you say Emperor's New Clothes because, of course, that's the uh, that's the exact phrase that is being banded around some senior Arsenal players when it comes to Mikel Arteta. And we started to touch on this in, in, in last week's pod, in the preview podcast, that, that, that some players, Aubameyang in particular, not particularly enamoured that, that they're getting all the criticism and, and Mikel Arteta seems to be getting off scot-free. And I guess the reason that they think that is because They've got people like Dean Ashton backing him and saying that there's signs of progress. I, I, I agree with Sam. I'm not convinced I see those signs. And if you're pointing to three games that you reeled off there, and they were Arsenal's best three performers of the season, but in each case, there were mitigating circumstances. Frank Lampard was just about to get sacked by Chelsea. Uh, Leicester were very poor uh, when they won that game. Not even very average. They were very poor. And so were Tottenham. They weren't in a great place under Jose Mourinho. So I don't think they've actually won any game with any great style or swagger this season. Fulham nil, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, Friday night, 8 o'clock. What entertainment this was. Um, the uh, game ended in a 1-0 win uh, for Wolves for the second time this season. And uh, thanks to the first goal since December 2019 in the Premier League for Adama Traore. Uh, it was a terrific finish. I must I must admit the way he powered down the right-hand side and then squeezed the ball in at the near post. It was absolutely superb. Um, Fulham had already been given a let-off in the first half with what looked like a criminal decision, really. A decision that actually we've subsequently sort of studied and realised that if it happened in a UEFA competition, it wouldn't have 
been chalked off because Alexander Seferin, who is the uh, chief executive of UEFA, said last year one centimetre offside is not offside because that's not the meaning of the rule and it has to be clear and obvious for VAR to intervene. So why the Premier League has not followed suit um, with this, I mean, I don't know because it was very similar to the Jota goal at Anfield. But onto the game itself, Fulham, obviously another missed opportunity for them in a week where they could have closed the gap to Newcastle. They didn't. What are we thinking? It's all over now? With Fulham, I think we've all been impressed with how Scott Parker has turned the, t- the team around in terms of the, the turnover of squad, changed the style of play, actually enjoyed watching them for a lot of the season. But at home, they have just not been able to find the back of the net. It's been a real issue for them. He's tried to bring Mitrovic back in to, to get the goals. But, you know, I always think in, in the relegation battles I've always been involved in, the home form just always feels crucial. Mm. And if you don't get that right, and, and they've had their chance. I feel like they've had their chance to put the pressure on and they've failed to take advantage in, in the games against Wolves, Aston Villa. And, and, and I feel like the chance has gone now. Yeah, Crook's about to spontaneously combust and say, I told you so. <laughs> I just think it's a bizarre industry that, that we deal in. I mean, if, if I was a painter and decorator, Dean, I, c- I came to paint your mansion. And uh, I, I, I imagine you've got a, a nice mansion there in, in Norfolk. And, you know, I painted it really badly to start with. And then you got me back to redo it and I painted it slightly better. But ultimately, it was still rubbish. You wouldn't employ me again, would you? Put, put, put your rod away. You're not fishing for calls on the Darren Bent boot room now. Look. No, but, but listen, I don't understand. And, and I know I'm not alone in this because I was speaking to Adrian Durham via text the other night. And, and he, <laughs> oh, he, he agrees with me. <laughs> he agrees with well, me. there is a shock. Look, this Scott Parker loving, okay? Yes, he's a good looking fella. Yes, he's articulate. He's a nice guy. He's great to deal with. He dresses sensationally. But ultimately, he's taken Fulham into the Premier League. He's tried to revamp the squad. He's tried to change the playing style. They're still going down. So, are they any better off than West Bromwich Albion, who basically chucked in the towel in October? Yeah. Look, Fulham conceded 10 goals in their first three Premier League games. They've conceded 31 in their next 28 since. Great. The defence certainly has improved. They've got nine more points after 31 games than they had in the last time that they were in the Premier League. So, that's an improvement. On the 13th of February, they were 10 points from safety. They could have moved out of the bottom three had they won on Friday night. Seven of their starting 11 are on loan. The other four only came in in the summer transfer window. They're not perfect. Without any doubt, they're not perfect. But they aren't West Brom or Sheffield United. They may be given a little bit more space because of Scott's style and communication ability. But more because I think you can see that he does have a plan. And although they don't really have the quality to execute that plan, because they're Fulham and they haven't spent the same sort of level of money as other teams higher up the league, and they have had actually three seasons of huge disruption, they aren't a million miles away because, you know, after three games of the season, you probably thought they were going to be worse than Sheffield United. Who was that bloke in Dad's Army who always had a plan? I don't know. I never used to watch it because I'm not 105. But that, that didn't work out well for him, did it? Ultimately, they're still going down. Um, and I guess Scott Parker will only be judged now on whether he has the ability to bring them back up again. I, I just don't think necessarily they deserve the plaudits that have been lavished at them because they haven't climbed out of that bottom three since December. One nil up against Aston Villa, threw it away. Wolves, if there's one team in the Premier League I would love to play right now when I really need a win, it's Wolves. Because they're on the beach, they've got the flip-flops on. Lost. Look, I just think that um, you obviously can't wait to uh, see Fulham go down because you, you're sticking up for Brucey and think that Newcastle have done a terrific job. Uh, but they themselves didn't exactly cover themselves in glory for the first 60 minutes of their game against How, how many more points than Fulham did they get? Three. They bought on Wilson and Alan Sam Maximum. How Fulham would love to have such expensively acquired resources as those two in their squad. Well, you can only deal with the cards that are... Uh... <laughs> Given to you, can't you? <laughs> well, uh, he, he did leave them on the bench in their game live on Talksport Two on uh, Sunday at midday. Burnley one, Newcastle two. It finished. What a decision it turned out to be because he brought them off the bench and they changed the game. Well, Alan St. Maximan did. What a terrific individual goal it was to win the match, Dean. 
Oh, fantastic. Fanta- his whole performance, actually, once he came on the pitch, was everything that's been lacking from, from a Newcastle team in, in the last couple of months, um, two or three months. And um, again, I, I just think it shows, a bit like I was talking about with Leeds and having a proper defence, if Steve Bruce had have had a fit St. Maximan, a fit Callum Wilson for all this period, then he wouldn't have had the results that he, he's had. He just simply wouldn't. These players are that important to these sides. Now, yes, he should have got a hell of a lot more out of the, the squad that he's the squad that he's had. But these players, as shown today, are that important and make that much of a difference that they, that it's it's clear to me that um without them that Newcastle would have gone down. Now they're back, they'll be absolutely fine. I think you sort of highlighted the fact that most people think that. Newcastle have got quite a good squad in that Sean Dyche, whose team have won now just one of their last eight matches, pointed to the Newcastle squad and saying, look look how deep their squad is in comparison to mine. I mean, just sort of hardens the rumours that he's probably on his way. He was linked with Newcastle and Palace last week, uh, which we mentioned on the pot. Um, the big highlight, well, the big highlight, the big talking point from this game, I think, was the James Tarkovsky boot in Longstaff's head. Now, how on earth is this not a penalty? I mean, it's endangering the safety of the opponent. There's no care or attention about what happens when you try to play the ball here. The PGMOL sent out an excuse, including the words, well, he got the ball and Longstaff put his head into the space, which was uh, being attacked by Tarkovsky. But they've been telling us for about 20 years that getting the ball is not a defence. So, I mean, I I don't understand how that wasn't overturned by VAR. It highlights the incredible inconsistency amongst our officials when you look at that incident and then hours later you get the Cavani goal chalked off because Son has been flicked in the face. So it, it makes no sense at all. VAR isn't a problem. I've said this before. It's the people using VAR. I just don't think our officials are at the standard that is required. I'm really disappointed by the level of officialdom this weekend in particular. This I am, season. I am, I, can, I am blown away by the fact that not only did someone suggest that it was necessary to go and have a look at that Son McTominay incident, that, that someone does go and look at it and still decides to overturn it. So that's two inept officials that's, in that's one incident. two big mistakes. At least with the Anthony Taylor one, he hasn't seen it, although really he probably should have done in the first place. He's asked Stuart Atwell, who I need to go and check it, and Stuart Atwell says, no, 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 it's not a clear and obvious error. I mean, he's about as clear and about as obvious as you can get, Dean. If someone kicked you in the head while you were going for a header in the penalty area, you'd want a penalty and probably a red card. No, I wouldn't. If I'm willing to put my head in three yards out from goal, I'm expecting to get it kicked off. I promise you, that's exactly what I'm expecting. So as far as I'm concerned... He didn't even duck. Of course, he, he went in to nod it into the, into the goal. He's about to score. What What's Tarkovsky meant to do? Just say, do you know what, mate? Use Just his score. head. Use his head. That's what he should have done. He should have used his yeah, head. But he, he, he couldn't get his head there quick enough. He's got a split second to decide. So he just And he doesn't actually see him. All he sees is I'm going to clear the ball, turns around, goes to clear it, and he's there. That's his job, to know what, who is, is around you. You're supposed also, to know your all, surroundings. All, also, I keep hearing this, well, if it was anywhere else on the pitch, it would be a foul. Well, we could say loads of things like that. Well, that, that, that foul would have been given if it was outside. Yeah, of course it would have done. But in that moment, Tarkovsky's got to clear it. He can't see who's about to turn up. He just turns and swivels and clears it. And Longstaff knows if I'm going to head this in, I might get absolutely clattered. So as far as I'm concerned, it was the right decision, but the Manchester United one wasn't. We, we found the one person who agrees with the uh, with the officials at Turf Moor. Are you Stuart well, Atwell's I, brother-in-law? I, I, I just don't see how that can be given as a penalty. Because his leg he... is higher than his head. His leg, when he clears the ball... James it's Tarkovsky's shoulder height. shoulder height. I'm not sure I could get shoulder. my leg that high. I, I, I looked at it and I thought, James Tarkovsky has definitely done Adrian's 30-day yoga challenge. There's no <laughs> doubt about yeah. it. Because I've never seen anybody get their leg that high, being that tall. Uh, you cannot use your foot in that area. It is completely outlawed in law. Honestly, I cannot believe that they didn't give a penalty. I'm even surprised they didn't think about giving a red card. 
Well, not as far as I'm concerned, because I've been in that situation. And what else are you actually meant to do? He cannot let him just head it in. They're in a relegation battle against a rival who's down there. He cannot just say, do you know what, Longstaff, just head it in. It's fine. My manager won't mind that. I mean, I must admit, I did look up the law and go through it afterwards and and try to find a way how it couldn't be a penalty because I was thinking right, there must be a reason for it and I couldn't maybe some of our referees should do that occasionally just read the rule book (laughs) (laughs) Um, well again a big decision in the Liverpool game which is the final game we're going to look at Uh, Liverpool 2 Aston Villa 1 Look, Liverpool failed to win any of their previous eight Premier League games at Anfield. They waited until second half stoppage time to beat Aston Villa. I'm not going to talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold, England right-backs, blah, 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 because it's the most overblown debate of the year. Great finish, excellent technique, wonderful, wonderful goal at just the right time. Brilliant. Um, The big story was the goal just after Aston Villa had taken the lead through Ollie Watkins, who again has sort of enhanced his credentials for the Euros with a with another goal. But Jota being a centimetre offside, we'll go back to what we said previously. I suppose Liverpool getting into the top four is now a realistic possibility because they're running his kind. West Brom, Burnley, Saints, Newcastle, Palace, all to play. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see who misses out because it's United and City are are guaranteed so it's two from four now I'm going to nail my colours to the West Ham mask because of their running and that obviously means that Leicester Liverpool or Chelsea won't qualify I think Leicester will fall away and and we're back to uh, was it when Jesper Gronchar scored that goal, you know, it's a Chelsea-Liverpool shootout for, for a place in the top four. 2003. So, so, it's uh, up in the air. Shall Roman Abramovich buy Chelsea or not? If they get into the top four, he will. And Ken Bates will have all the debts cleared. If he doesn't, then, you know, yeah, it's all over for Chelsea. And it was Jesper Gronchar's goal and you know, Gianfranco Zola's last game at Chelsea. They beat them. I can't remember what the score was. It was it. 2-0 it was at Anfield wasn't it no it was at Chelsea it was at Chelsea it was at Chelsea because this is bad um, I was working with Mickey Quinn at the time Mickey Quinn arranged for my dad to have two tickets to the game and then my dad went to the game turned up and and the tickets hadn't been put aside for him he was really happy about it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah is that that scenario again Um, they haven't got to play each other this time round which is good news. Which is good news. Um, well, probably good news for Liverpool. That They've got every chance and I think their cause will probably be helped by them exiting the Champions League in midweek because I don't think with no home crowd at Anfield they're going to turn that deficit around against Real Madrid. I think Real will probably score. It'd be quite some problem if they don't get into the top four though or and don't get into the Champions League by winning it, Dean. Yeah, it would. It would be um, a big issue because it is such a, a big deal for for players playing Champions League football. And um, and so if you're looking at, which they need to, bolstering that squad with top, top quality players, that suddenly might be a, a slight issue. But I think they have got a real chance. I know the Real Madrid performance was, was poor, but I've seen some really good moments in that second half against Arsenal. All right, people say Arsenal weren't very good, but against Villa, lots of good moments, lots of good character towards the end as well. I think that's more shoots of life from from them and the back the two centre backs, okay, found out slightly against Real Madrid, but their running's pretty good. So you would expect them to have a, a real good chance without maybe the pressures that Chelsea and West Ham will definitely start to feel and Leicester mm. um towards the end of the season. I, I think Chelsea will miss out. I think uh West Ham will get in and I think Leicester will hold on. Well, I, I, we spoke about this, didn't we, with, with Darren Lewis. If that is the case, and if West Ham make the Champions League and Liverpool don't and Chelsea yeah. don't and clearly Tottenham and Arsenal don't, that's yeah. a lot of big clubs and big managers with egg on their faces. And all should get fired as a result. Uh, right, listen. <laughs> uh, Dean, it's been lovely to speak to you. That's it from us. We're back on Thursday afternoon with Darren Lewis and Alex Crook and I looking ahead to the weekend action, including the FA Cup semi-finals. Please rate and review the podcast and tell all your friends to subscribe to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
the latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.